Warner's remaining committed. They're not they're not pushing it to PVOD, so that's the good news here. But it does mean that we're we're essentially without a major tentpole blockbuster type release until November. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studio, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I am joined by co-hosts Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, the chief analyst at Box Office Pro. Today, we have a lot to talk about uh, because, once again, we're not exactly in a post-COVID world yet. I think it would be absolutely crazy to say that we are. But theaters are open, movies are coming out, and people are going to see them in the the areas in which uh, that is possible. So let's start with the biggest topic, which is, once again, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And we're going to look at the second weekend of performance in the U.S., which was maybe a little bit surprising, but this whole story has a couple of twists that we're going to dig into. Sean, you know, I thought that Tenet was going to maybe have longer legs than it is looking like it has right now. Let's talk about this drop from a reported 20 million weekend take, you know, over its first domestic weekend to 6 million here in week two. What's going on there? A lot's going on, Russ. And I think uh, we're all kind of, we're all kind of uh, ready to just have some transparency on this, which is, that's been the big, uh, that's been the big outcry, I think, with Tenet's first couple of weeks, because we haven't received the typical daily breakdowns we would get from the studio for the for box office performances and the upside is they finally did report a weekend drop over the weekend yesterday it was around 29% is what they're saying and that was with a 6.7 million dollar weekend in its second full domestic frame this comes after them saying it had earned 20 million last week but that encapsulated about 11 days worth of grosses so without that breakdown, I think anybody who, which is pretty much 99% of people, anyone who doesn't follow box office on a regular basis probably just assumes that was the opening. That was the weekend. And it wasn't. It was with the numbers they gave us, we can actually kind of work the math backward a little bit and figure out that Tenant really did about a little over 9 million last weekend. So to come in at 6.7 this weekend looks pretty good by comparison. Obviously, we're still far off from, from typical pre-pandemic numbers, and we will be far off from those kinds of numbers for a while. But this was a little bit of the the consequence of the confusion that came out of that reporting of just one number that really represented over a week, week and a half. And now we, we have a true proper weekend number that we can kind of start to make our comparisons against going forward. On a global level, the film ended up bringing in another 37 a little over 37 million dollars this weekend which pushes the overseas total to nearly 178 million so that uh, all in all brings it over 200 million which it is a benchmark for this film that uh we think is pretty important to cover and of course 86 percent of of that is coming from overseas markets and i think the positive takeaways we're, we're seeing territories like russia it only dropped 30 sorry 23% this weekend germany was down only about 36% france had a good hold pretty much every country with very few exceptions are are seeing some of that staying power starting to come to fruition so you know the hope is that uh, we'll kind of start to see these these benchmarks trickle in they'll slow down probably over the next couple of weeks as the momentum really starts to to level out a little bit more but uh, yeah this is the first film to hit 200 million globally outside of uh, 
outside of the uh, 800 from China in a, quite a while. So it's it's a big milestone right now. Without being too brutal about it, then that $20 million report was skewed. Is that a good word? For lack of a better word, yeah. I mean, I think we can, we can come up with a lot of words for it. It was ill-advised, perhaps. But at the same time, I, I think, especially all of us here, we, we're working in the industry, we understand the sensitivity. I think the studio is is really feeling with these numbers. And, you know, let's be honest, there are press entities that will cover this fairly and realize have realized from the beginning that that number was, was not uh, given enough context. But the studio also knows that there's a flip side to that coin. And there are plenty of people on the internet that will not really kind of dive into the facts of that and are really kind of just looking for an excuse to bury theatrical. You know, it's, it's a very sticky spot for Warner Brothers, but I think ultimately, you know, this kind of gets into an opinion and I'd be curious to hear your guys' t- uh, takes on it. But I think, you know, ultimately transparency is, is it wins out the day and you need the people that are going to be on the side of the studio and trying to report things fairly and and support theatrical really need those facts. And, you know, getting this number this weekend was a step in the, that right direction. I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm seeing some people w- with the line, oh, they tried to sneak those extra days. They tried to sneak the Canadian gross in and pretend that it was an American opening weekend gross. And, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, the, the North American uh, grosses, they're always U.S. and Canada folded in together. But certainly they could have been more forthright and more just just straight up give people the data. And I think there would be less room for, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to say interpreting things in different ways because you could do that anyway, but just straight up confusion. That's something I was kind of worrying was, was going to happen over the past few months where you have these major studios, not Warner Brothers, admittedly, going to VOD, uh, you know, putting some titles on VOD that initially would have been theatrical. And, and in the VOD world, you, you don't have to consistently report numbers. Even with the movies Netflix, it, you know, puts in movie theaters, those, those numbers aren't necessarily reported consistently, you know, every day, every time for every movie. So I, I, that was something that I, that I worried would happen is they're going to get a little too used to cherry picking the box office numbers that they feel good about and that they feel like can help them control the narrative. And um, maybe that's a silver lining here that, you know, we're seeing a course correction and Warner Brothers realizing maybe they need to, <laughs> they need to go back to the basics on this and just, just give us the numbers. So that being said, do you think that we're looking at a future where, VOD reporting or the trends around VOD reporting become more applicable to theatrical? That's a tough question. I hope not. I hope yeah, not. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, initially I started out hoping that VOD standards for box office reporting would go more in the direction of theatrical. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think happen. we all wanted that. Yeah. I mean, the other I think another kind of positive sign here is that when the weekend started, we were starting. We were kind of hearing these murmurs that Sony was going to follow in those footsteps and only report one weekend figure for the Broken Hearts Gallery because that opened domestically this weekend. But on Sunday morning, they end up they ended up providing a day by day breakdown Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is something we still haven't had from Warner Brothers. So mm. everybody's rewriting the rule book at the same time, and every studio is going to play it a little bit differently and more cautiously. But really, maybe maybe it's an optimist's view, but I think long term. This is just for the now. We're too ingrained and I think studios and exhibitors are too dependent on these these detailed releases of information and box office information that 
it's it's almost impossible, I think, to go backward and and lose that level of detail. I mean, especially now you take into account discounted tickets. I mean, you know, 20 bucks for a drive in, you know, so how many tickets is that per person for tenant? Like it's complicated enough already. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And then when you factor in the, I mean, there's a a huge difference in the business model between traditional theatrical circuits and what are functionally data companies and digital companies like Netflix. They do business very differently. And it's easy to see how Netflix can obscure their true numbers uh, because they hold everything. But when it comes to theatrical, you've got more companies in the mix. There are different sorts of real transactions that are going on. You know, there's an individual financial transaction per ticket, which is not the case with Netflix. So there's more tracking that can be done there, whether or not the studios want it to happen necessarily. So it seems like ultimately the theatrical is going to uh, will hopefully retain uh, and and continue to go by the same reporting standards that we've seen, you know, that we hold as a constant or an expected deal there. Though, as, as we know now, I mean, we're not going to have another uh, new major release to kind of test out how studios are going to give us box office uh, because Wonder Woman 1984 got delayed. Yeah, which is yeah. the other big piece of news so, here. So that's our other big news. Yeah, let's. Uh, so, Sean, what are we what are we talking about as far as like the the high profile schedule as far as it goes for the next quarter? Right. Obviously, Wonder Woman was was kind of the next big movie that uh, the industry was really hoping to have in October. But I think I think it was kind of an unspoken inevitability that it was going to move. Even even with Tenet out there, there was, even before Tenet opened, I think, there was this immediate understanding that there's a very strong possibility Tenet is going to need more than four weeks by itself to, to do all these things the studio and exhibition wants it to do. And that ranges from just making money to just bringing people back in waves and allowing major markets to reopen. I mean, we still don't have New York and LA and San Francisco, among others. So it's it's still, I think, Wonder Woman moving to December. On the positive side, Warner's remaining committed. They're not they're not pushing it to PVOD. So that's the good news here. But it does mean that we're we're essentially without a major tentpole blockbuster type release until November, which for now would be Black Widow uh, on that first weekend. Frankly, we we still have to be cautious and not take anything for granted. It's we're all hoping nothing else moves, but we're now talking about four tentpole movies on the schedule for November and December and that's that's going to be a big transition. It wouldn't be surprising if at least one of them moves, perhaps two of them. Right. Uh so I mean, can, it, Candyman moved as well, albeit right, forgot, that's yeah. that's to 2021, not to the Thanksgiving Christmas corridor. But yeah, that that November December is real crowded in a way that normally would would be in a in a different year would be would be normal. It would be completely normal to have three new movies coming out on Christmas. But this year, you know, Sean, as you spoke to, there's a real danger of these films cannibalizing each other's you know market share. So I mean, I, I don't know. We have. Now you have Wonder Woman 1984 coming out on Christmas. The week before, from the same studio, you have Dune. Dune moves now, right? I mean, you would. I mean, even though they've already started doing marketing for it, so that's another wrinkle in it. I mean, they just had. Yeah, that's the thing is they just had that kind of splashy trailer debut and all that. And to be honest, I wonder about the degree to which that marketing debut for Dune, which anecdotally in my circles certainly seem to do very well. I'd love to know from Warner Brothers perspective how Dune 
performed, how that first trailer performed, uh, and how, mm-hmm. how they feel about it right now. But it, it seems like that debut was very much a test balloon for, okay, do we keep it in December? You know, can we make this movie what we want it to be, things being what they are, or do we need to push it? You know, a couple of days later, Wonder Woman pushed to the week after. So now you've got their two films right there. And yeah, I think the obvious assumption is that Dune moves, but this year is a year in which no obvious assumptions are necessarily reliable. I mean, I would have thought no way they, they would ever move No Time to Die, which, as we know, is the first major film to move because of COVID. They planted their flag in November, and they still have been putting out new marketing even up to this morning. So it's it's not like they've kind of gone underground and, right. and, and it looks like they're about to move. But you're seeing a, a universal title granted from a different studio just announced that they're being released the week before. Uh, a neon title announced they're coming out the week before. Black Widow at the beginning of the month, just a, just a few weeks. And, and granted, a lot of these are, you know, counter-programmers. No Time to Die is, is obviously a, a huge draw. But is November just going to get more and more crowded? Are more play, are, are more studios going to try to kind of plant their flags in those months? And then we're just going to see an exodus of people to quarter one of 2021? You know, like you said, never say never. I don't. I don't know if, I, you know, there's there's also the domino effect too because every time something's delayed, it's pushing everything down the slate into 2021. And now, when you look at that 21 calendar, there's a there are a lot there's of a options. Lot. There are a lot of big movies coming out. So, even though it seems inevitable for Dune to move, and it might be smart for it to move if the market's not ready for it within the next month and a half or two, uh, because they need to pr- plan out their marketing for it. But where's it going to go? I mean, that's that's kind of I think the added challenge that studios are, are facing now. So, and when we, you know, we were talking before recording about where each company's fiscal year ends, and after the eighteen T merger, it looks like Warner Brothers' fiscal year ends with the with the the thirty first of December. And so, does it make sense for a company like Warner Brothers to get those two big movies out into the world? while they're still in the 2020 fiscal year. Is that a consideration there? Or is that ultimately a detail that kind of uh, becomes subject to the whims and the unpredictabilities of the marketplace along with everything else? I really wonder about Black Widow. I mean, that that, that domino effect just within the Marvel Cinematic Universe is obviously huge. Black Widow is obviously a prequel to Avengers Endgame, but it's a freaking Marvel movie. They're going to have little tidbits throughout the movie setting up things from future films. Like they just, that's how they operate They're I, I assume they're setting up Florence Pugh, right. uh, who's a big rising star, who's supporting in the film to uh, appear in additional Marvel movies down the line. I mean, that, that would make sense to me. Right. Yeah. There's never, there's rarely been a Marvel movie that, can completely 100% be called a standalone. They're all very, it's a very interconnected universe and that's why people like it. So if you bump Black Widow, every other Marvel movie after that, like you can't, you you probably can't just, you you can't just mess with the order of them. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it goes to Disney Plus in that case. On top of that, apparently some of these, like a lot of these movies, I would assume probably all of them are tied to the Disney Plus Marvel series that were supposed to be coming out by now. And they've had to be delayed either because of filming or because they have story points related to these movies that they hoped to be coming out right now. So in an interesting way, I think that does kind of tie into what should be what will be or what should be that first big movie that brings back people in waves. And, you know, Tenet had a Nolan fan base and Dune has its fan base. But 
I think there's a strong argument to make for it. it's it's going to be a big franchise movie. It's going to be a Marvel. It's going to be a Bond. It's going to be a Wonder Woman. It's going to be one of those movies where we can hopefully finally look at the numbers and say, okay, people are going back to theaters now because that will be the draw. I agree with a lot of that in a, in a large sort of a macro sense. I do wonder about this idea of needing to pull some more specific demographics in and where films like Connected and Freaky might fit into that equation. You know, uh, Freaky mm-hmm. just debuted a trailer last last week. It's a horror comedy from the guy that did the Happy Death Day movies. You know, successful mid-performing films. And Freaky is one where I can see if... Everybody, you know, at that point will have gone a couple of months with theaters open. If there are not cases reported to those openings, then Freaky, I could see being a movie that gets some people back into the theater who have been resisting. Uh, the same thing mm. with Connected, where which has, you know, a family movie appeal. And uh, maybe if word of mouth on Connected is good, you know, it's produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the guys who did so well with 21 Jump Street movies with Into the Spider-Verse, there's a good potential that Connected could be a big draw that we're not really, and we're not seeing it as such just yet, but uh, to me it seems like those are kind of the the surprises that might convince people, oh no, I, I want to go back and see this. Another element that we have uh, that's affecting the calendar in a big way so far is the beginning of festival season, the beginning of award season. Uh, we're starting to see those awards contenders kind of line up in the schedule over over November, December, Neon's release, Ammonite, uh, with Kate Winslet, which I think uh, looks really great. We have Regina King's directorial debut, uh, One Night in Miami, which just debuted at TIFF, I believe, or maybe it was Venice. Nomadland, which has already been picked up for theatrical by Searchlight. Sean, I, I kind of agree with, with, with your earlier point that those are the, they're not going to make a ton of money. We're not going to be writing about like the, the nomad land <laughs> box office and, and, and some big affirmational, you know, thing. I, I hope that it makes a lot of money, but I, I do wonder, um, you definitely spoke on this a lot last year. What should our expectations be for what qualifies a film for success this year? And I think if you take that question and apply it to art house films, that's a totally new, interesting question that I don't know the answer yeah. to. It really is. I, I wish I, I wish I had an answer. I mean, I wish we, I'm sure we all do. I, I think, you know, we've all talked about it and we all kind of, the frequent, uh, the sentiment is that success is something totally, it means something totally different right now. And these films are going to be much as Tenet has been more of a symbolic kind of solidarity with exhibition types of releases. Like you said, even in normal times, we we probably wouldn't expect the majority of these to make a ton of money. Now, that doesn't mean they're not profitable because they're obviously much lower budget than a big blockbuster. But from a sheer numbers perspective and the masses going to the theaters, these are movies that they're going to provide product. So that's the positive side. Uh, but it's just really challenging to say. And I think one of the things we're really going to be looking at in the, in the coming months is how many theaters can really rely on these movies and one big movie at a time without potentially just reducing operating hours, maybe running evening shows just to kind of get through this early part of the reopening and recovery phase, which we don't know how long it will, it will last. So art house films and anything that's not going to draw a big audience on the level of a wonder woman or a Marvel movie, they will be important in their own way. That just, the question is, how how sustainable will that be over a long period of time? Because right now the hope is we 
we get through the next two months and we get at least one or two more big movies before the end of the year. You know, a lot of these films like uh, Nomadland, certainly interesting, like the animated movie Wolfwalkers, which is from the same people that did Secret of Kells, which was a surprise Oscar nominee a number of years ago. Wolfwalkers is almost certainly going to get that Oscar nomination again, assuming they do the Oscars in anything like a normal mm-hmm. run next year. But are people going to see it in big numbers? Probably not. What I will say there is is that I will go back to the idea that we were just talking about with Connected and Freaky, which is that I wonder if we are looking at this in the wrong way and thinking, oh, we need one big movie to pull everybody back to theaters. I don't know that that's the way it's going to work. I think we need a number of movies that draw specific markets, specific demographics and audiences into theaters. And I think it's going to be this aggregate collection of Mm -hmm. stories that pulls people back. I don't think Wonder Woman, I understand why uh, both uh, exhibitors and Warner Brothers had a lot of hopes pinned on Wonder Woman. It was clearly going to be one of 2020's four quadrant hits. It has all of that potential. It has all of that appeal. And I think it's still going to do well in whatever capacity it can. But I do think that we're going to see, you know, some individual movies bringing smaller, more specific demographics back into theaters and that we need that ultimately whatever the return looks like as a whole is going to be as much due to those movies and their effect as it is to any one, you know, for lack of a better term, like killer app. You know, it's it's not just going to be Wonder Woman that does it. I'm curious about October. We, we don't have as many horror films as we normally have, but mm. then you have the TCM Big Classic series. They're putting out like Psycho, Friday the 13th, The Shining. I mean, that that could be a, an additional, if admittedly smaller puzzle piece. You know, if someone doesn't necessarily want to come back and see, you know, Death on the Nile, they might decide they want to see Psycho on the big screen. Right. And hey, I will say Death on the Nile looks super fun. I really (laughs) after that trailer like i liked murder on the orient express well enough but after that death on the nile trailer i'm like yeah i want to see this movie that's going to be the best dressed movie of 2020 absolutely and that's great like i i will take some escapism right now the other thing i think that is we should not overlook is the coming to america sequel which paramount still Mm -hmm. has lodged in mid-december and that's another one that i think has huge potential to draw bigger audiences than I think a lot of people are, are maybe expecting right now. And that's the same release date as Dune. So I don't know, are Paramount and Warner Brothers going to be playing chicken on that release Hey, date? you know what? Double feature. This is what double features are made for. Let's see Dune and let's <laughs> yeah. see Coming to America Dune and coming back to, America. to back. You can choose which one is first. You know, you can decide what sort of note do you want to exit the theater on. And uh, I, I think there's a little something for everybody. Thank you for that, Sean. And we will leave you now to ponder a world in which maybe Tenet will make it to 300 million globally and be one of the biggest movies of the year as a result. Thanks, Sean and Rebecca. And thank you all for listening. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Caitlin Kehoe and recordeditpodcast.com. This episode was written by Daniel Luria with additions from Rebecca Polly and narrated by Rebecca, Sean Robbins, and me, Russ Fisher. We will see you in a week with further adventures at the box office and analysis of what it all means for the fall in 2020. Thanks a lot. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>